Hello, everyone. Welcome back to the Crossover Across Time podcast for another one of our bonus episodes of our franchise focus. Uh, this time we're talking about the New York Knicks. And uh, again, the way this works, we have three segments of the show. First, we talk about the current team's uh, direction and outlook. We then talk about a historic team from that franchise's history. And finally, we talk about a notable player or legend from that franchise's history. Um, <clears throat> so let's waste no more time. Let's get right into it. Kind of losing my voice a little bit, so hopefully this uh, I'll be able to get through this specific episode. Uh, firstly, talking about the current team's direction, uh, the Knicks' current team and kind of their outlook starts with uh, 2020, I would say. Um, before that, they were uh, kind of really struggling. They had added um, R.J. Barrett and Julius Randle in the 2019 to 2020 season, but they hadn't really uh, figured it out quite yet. It was that very next season. Uh, Leon Rose, his first full season as the executive coach, Tom Thibodeau's first season, they had Barrett and Randall, uh, a little more solidified Barrett in his second season, Randall, his second season in New York. And that's where the current Knicks start as a competitive team in the, in the East. That's kind of the, the simple way of talking about the Knicks. And uh, this season has been another step in that process, I would say. Uh, Of course, in the 2021 season, Julius Randle was a all-NBA team selection. He was an all-star. Helped lead the Knicks to the playoffs for the first time since the 2013 season, where they lost in the first round to the Atlanta Hawks. And last season, the 2022 season, they took a bit of a step back Julius Randle had some some struggles, some uh, conflicts with the fans. It was kind of a – it wasn't a terrible season, but it certainly wasn't as great as they had hoped. But now this season, with the addition of Jalen Brunson, they're right back on pace to where they'd hoped they'd be. And that's kind of what we got to focus on with the Knicks, talking about their current team and their direction. And they've got a great uh, triumvirate, if you will. You mentioned we mentioned Randall. He's an all-star again this season. Uh, nearly 25 points per game with 11 rebounds and four assists, along with 34% from three. He's a perfect power forward for today's game. If you really need to, you can stretch him over to the five or, or, or slide him over to the five where he can, you know, make things work. He's got enough size to do that. Uh, but certainly likes to play at that four spot. Um, you have Jalen Brunson who they took a bit of a gamble on. He had had some, you know, he had an exciting playoffs last season with the Mavericks and the Knicks were banking on the fact that he would translate that into a step up in play from just being a nice point guard in the NBA, a backup type point guard, maybe even a starting point guard to a star in his own right. And the Knicks have made a, you know, made very good on that promise and that potential. They've, uh, they appear now as geniuses for making this move a great offseason, one of the best moves in the past offseason. This season so far, averaging 24 points per game, six assists, three and a half rebounds, shooting uh, 48.5% from the floor and nearly 42% from the three point line. Uh, there's not much more you could ask from what from Jalen Brunson and what he's done. Uh, a lot of people felt he should have been an all-star this season. Randall and Brunson, a great pairing, and they're supplemented by another rising uh, guy, a, a shooting guard playing at the small forward due to their kind of roster structure. 
in RJ Barrett. His percentages are solid. Uh, you'd hope maybe a bit better, but he's still averaging 20 points per game and five rebounds with three assists. Um, I would say he's, you know, the third guy behind Randall and Brunson, even though he was the, you know, the draft pick and people pinned him a couple years ago with the most potential, but he's still, uh, again, he's a young guy and he's still got a lot of time to grow into that promise and that pairing that, or that, uh, grouping, those three guys has been tremendous for the Knicks. Um, you add in the other starters, which are Quentin Grimes in his second season. He's been a nice, uh, you know, fourth guy as far as a scoring push, you know, 10 points with three and a half rebounds and two and assists. Excuse me, again, good percentage shooter, nice piece to go along with these guys. And then Mitchell Robinson, the center, who I've liked for a long time, this season averaging seven points, nine rebounds, and two blocks per game. A solid center, defensive center, you know, fills gaps as far as what the rest of the lineup does well. Um, unfortunately, he's been out for the last while with injury, which has, you know, put a damper on things. But Jericho Sims has really solidified his position as a true backup quality big. Uh, only about four points per game, but five rebounds in only 16 minutes. Uh not a great shot blocker compared to Robinson, but still a great size. And he's a great leaper. He's a true athlete. And so he's been a, a diamond in the rough around, along with Quentin Grimes, excuse me. Um, then you add the depth for them at the, the, the front court. And this is where you have, or the back court, excuse me. And this is where you have Emmanuel quickly, uh, a nice backup point guard, 12 and a half points, three, three assists, four rebounds, more of a defensive guy, uh, has some some offensive touch, can shoot it a bit. Uh, they added Josh Hart very recently at the trade deadline, and he is going to, I think, really be a nice piece for them off the bench, especially supplementing and replacing, uh, replacing the production they had from Cam Reddish, who they traded for Josh Hart. Uh, I think he will elevate that backup spot and do more than what Josh Hart had been doing. They still have Evan Fournier. He's in the back half of his, of his career, but he's still productive and a good shooter. They have Hartenstein who's had some above average moments for them at center as well. So they've got good depth. They've got a great young core. They've got, um, you know, they have Obi Toppin still, who's struggling to find the minutes, but he's shown a lot of flash as a potential player, you know, with extended, if he had more of an opportunity. And this is not to mention, this is without mentioning Derek Rose, who's still kind of, <clears throat> he's regressed a bit over the last couple of seasons, but he can still be a productive uh, scorer for you off the bench. So they've got plenty of depth, I would say at this point, you know, both backcourt and frontcourt. They've got that young core. And their young core, especially, most importantly, is pretty young. Randall's oldest of them, of course. He's 28, so he's getting into his prime or is currently in his prime. Brunson is only 26, so he's a bit older than you'd expect, but he's still not too old. And then R.J. Barrett, of course, is going to be the youngest of them. He is 22. So he's still super young. He's still finding his game. And once he takes another step forward, which I think he will, and joins Randall and Brunson's production, I think the Knicks are going to be uh, 
you know, next step forward. They could be a top four or five seed in the East, potentially. Maybe they need to strengthen their bench a touch. Maybe they need, um, <clears throat> you know, a real uh, small forward to go along with uh, R.J. Barrett and maybe slide him over. You have Quentin Grimes off the bench. That would be my uh, one caveat or concern. But otherwise, the Knicks are in a good position. And I think if you're a Knicks fan, uh, you're pretty happy with the way the team is right now. Um, <clears throat> and so that's all for the current team, really. I don't have much else to add other than they've they've built well. You know, the front office is doing a good job. They've they've drafted. They've done free agency. They've done trades. And each one of those has brought one of the three, uh, you know, key pieces of their kind of quote-unquote big three, if we want to use an overused term. And they're in a good spot. And then I think with some some fine-tuning, they could be a top team in the East. So they're in a good spot. Um, let's next talk about a historic team. And this is kind of just in the vein of a really interesting team to talk about. They were a good team, but <clears throat> they maybe underachieved in the playoffs, um, depending on the way you look at it. But uh, the team I'm going to talk about is the 1977 to 1978 New York Knicks. And uh, it's an interesting team for a lot of reasons. Firstly, the head coach was Willis Reed. Uh, before that, it was Red Holtzman, who you'd have to say is the greatest coach in the Knicks franchise history, was the head coach for their two championships in 1970 and 1973. Um, <clears throat> he is either fired or takes a step down to allow Willis Reed, the former Knicks great player, to coach this team. They go 43-39 and 39 in the season, win their first-round series against Cleveland, and then lose in the semifinals in a sweep to the Philadelphia 76ers. Of course, the Sixers in that time are, I think they had the best record in the East that year. They're led by Dr. J in his prime. They have George McGinnis, an all-star. Uh, Doug Collins, one available, an all-star. Uh, you know, Caldwell Jones, a great defensive center. So, that team was better, but you look at this Knicks roster, they had the potential for one of the great front courts in, in that era. Spencer Haywood and Bob McAdoo it was their kind of starting group, power forward and center. McAdoo still averaging, he's averaging 26 and a half points, 13 rebounds, one and a half steals, one and a half blocks, and four assists. Uh, he was still that MVP level of player that he was in Buffalo with the Braves. You add Spencer Haywood, who was maybe regressing, but was still productive, about 14 points, uh, six and a half rebounds per game. That alone made this team really interesting to me. But furthermore, it was a team with a touch of the remnants of those championship squads. Earl Monroe was still the starting shooting guard. He had 18 points per game and five assists this season. Um, you also had Phil Jackson still coming off the bench. Limited minutes, limited production, but he was still on the squad. So he had remnants of the championship team, along with Willis Reed as the coach, uh, certainly the key member, one of the key members of that of those teams. You have Lonnie Shelton in his uh second year in the league who would go on to win a championship with the supersonics uh productive forward in his own right 15 points and seven rebounds one and a half steals one and a half blocks uh future all-star i believe um <clears throat> yes one time all-star and a uh 1982 all defensive member as well 
Um, you have Jim Clemens starting at point guard, who had previously been a point guard for that Cavaliers miracle at Richfield team. Uh, productive point guard, uh, six and a half points, three and a half assists, uh, nearly a steal. Nothing stellar, but he was aided by Butch Beard, who might have actually been the no. He sorry, Butch Beard was starter. Realistically, Jim Clemens, Jim Clemens was the backup. Butch Beard had about nine and a half points, four and a half assists with one and a half steals. So, you know, Butch Beard, Jim Clemens, nice two point guards. Jim McMillan, who had championship experience with the Lakers, uh, was a backup forward. Eight and a half points, three and a half rebounds to two and a half assists. And again, a lot of these other names I'm not ultra familiar with as far as their specific talents and abilities. Ray Williams, Toby Knight, uh, Glenn Gondrzyk, and Tiki Burden. But, you know, it, it's more just I wanted to talk about Spencer Haywood and Bob McAdoo and that pairing. And, you know, if you can you imagine if the Knicks had held on to Walt Frazier, who I feel like still probably had some production in him, if he was the point guard leading that squad, you have a small forward who could really fill in instead of, you know, an amalgam of Jim McMillan and either Lonnie Shelton or Spencer Haywood playing a small forward. Um, I feel like this team, especially in the wide open 70s, you know, maybe one of the greatest eras of parody in NBA history, this team could have won a championship, you know. And, and what would that have done for the Knicks kind of franchise history? to have three seventies championships, the two with that main core, Willis Reed, Walt Frazier, um, and Bill Bradley with supported at different times by various stars. But then if you also had um, a championship in the late seventies with, uh, you know, Bob McAdoo and Spencer Haywood and some of those guys getting championships in their own history would have been interesting. But uh, again, otherwise regardless they they lost in the playoffs but it was a noteworthy team and it was a super interesting team to ponder on so that's why i wanted to talk about them a little bit um and of course that coach is interesting willis reed that segues us perfectly to our player we're talking about willis reed and again i talked about on the king's franchise focus i didn't want to focus on some of my favorite players too much and I, Willis Reed is not as much of a favorite as, say, Mitch Richmond is, but he's still a guy I like. You know, he's one of my more favorite players. And he's in that category of underappreciated players. I'll start with this. A member of the uh, NBA's 50 greatest players team, a member of the NBA's 75th anniversary team, 75 greatest players, uh, 97 and 2023 respectively, for those two teams. So over time, he's consistently considered one of the best in NBA history. Then let's talk about his resume. Hall of Famer, of course. Seven-time All-Star, five-time All-NBA, two-time champion with those two Knicks championship squads. Uh, He was an All-Rookie member as well as Rookie of the Year in 1965. Later on in 1970, he would be an All-Defensive Team member, an all-star game MVP and the league MVP in 1970 in that first championship year. And his averages are very good. They're not of course, as stellar as some of the other players in his era, say a Wilt Chamberlain or a Bill Russell. He's not as good as those guys were, but for the next guy up from those two who are two of the 10 best players in NBA history, 
it's hard to do much better than Willis Reed. Over his seven all-star years, his first seven seasons in the league, playing both power forward and center as an undersized center, he was 6'10", 235, but still, you know, battling with some of those bigger guys. He averaged 20 points and 14 rebounds a game. We don't have steals or blocks averages because they were not recorded in those years, but I'd proffer to say that he also averaged a good amount of steals and blocks as well. Truly one of the underappreciated players. If you want to talk about guys battling Bill Russell and Wilt Chamberlain on a consistent basis, especially with a a league of nine, eight or nine teams, Willis Reed was doing that a lot. And he was more than holding his own. He was just about an equal, certainly a peer to those guys. In the later years, 70 through 74, his production did decrease. Uh, and part of that was due to, you know, injury troubles. So that's certainly worth noting. But he was the key leader and the the captain of those championship squads, 1970 and 1973. Um, you know, there's not much more you can say than that, other than his resume, his production, and his championship experience, you know. Um, we talked about already that he coached for a stint with the Knicks as well. Um, he also coached for a time with the Nets and, uh, you know, didn't have a stellar coaching career, but that's not really, it doesn't really matter. Um, cause he had such a, a great playing career and, uh, a side note that I didn't really know until today. Willis Reed's cousin was Orlando Woolridge, an underrated player in his own right. Certainly not as great of a player, but um, I feel like he should have been an all-star at least once. He was a a consistent 20-point-per-game type of scorer, a taller, small forward. But um, that's besides the point. We're talking Willis Reed, great player, wanted to give him his props. And, of course, if you know anything about Willis, Willis Reed, maybe his biggest legacy is in the 1970 NBA Finals against the Los Angeles Lakers. There, uh, in the garden, he is inside, kind of driving against Will Chamberlain, and he goes down with a leg injury. Uh, goes out for the rest of that game. They're not sure if he's going to be able to play during the rest of the finals. They're worried they're going to lose the championship. They had a, a, you know, they had won three games. They needed one more win. They're at home, and Willis Reed comes out to an enormous fanfare. Um, <clears throat> plays just a handful of minutes, scores a couple of baskets, and, you know, provides the emotional leadership that they needed to then go on to win that game. Walt Frazier overall had the the standout game in that individual game, but Willis Reed, you know, set the tone and allowed them to kind of forget about their worry, you know, can we do it without Willis? He played, he contributed, and they ultimately won the championship. Um, <clears throat> if you want to know more about those Knicks championships teams, I highly recommend the uh, 30 for 30 documentary, When the Garden Was Eden, uh, based on a book by the same name. It does a great job uh, documenting and retelling these, you know, that story and also gives you know credit to Willis Reed's uh, playing career. So definitely check that out if you want to know a little bit more about the Knicks or Willis Reed in particular. But um, yeah, that's one of his big legacies, if he's not going to be remembered as one of the all-time greats, then he'll be recognized for one of the all-time gutsiest performances, you know, inspiring his team. They kind of coined a new term 
uh, pulling a Willis Reed. You may have heard that with players playing through injury, uh, whether it's Isaiah Thomas in the 89 uh, final or the 88 finals, excuse me, or it's, uh, you know, any number of other players playing through injury. Willis Reed kind of was the original uh, or one of the originals in that aspect. So definitely had to recognize his uh, play and his career in general. So with that, uh, that takes care of our franchise focus for the New York Knicks. Once again, thanks for listening. And we'll be back with you either with our normal weekday scheduled show or with our next bonus episode for our franchise focus. Uh, So we'll be back with you then.